Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's another red-letter day in the Independent Republic as our forensic analysis of the election campaign continues with the launch of the Labour Manifesto. In the background, there are more promises and more opportunities to spend even more money. Today's latest Jeremy Corbyn wheeze is to build 150,000 council houses a year if he wins next month. That is close to 300 houses completed each and every working day for 365 days straight. It's literally a miracle. We were hearing from Russell Quirk on the uh, breakfast show this morning that there literally aren't enough bricks in the entire country to build that many houses that quickly. We'll bring you that live as it happens in Birmingham. And we'll also be asking whether the Lib Dem launch yesterday was held in secret. It might as well have been because it was entirely scuppered by the announcement from Buckingham Palace that Prince Andrew was to quit all royal duties with immediate effect and cooperate with the FBI over Jeffrey Epstein and the seedy revelations surrounding him uh, and the various underage girls that he may or may not have been procuring for various celebrities around the world. This morning we will be asking the question, what next for the royal family? Can they actually survive this? And if you think that's too serious a question and taking this too far just think of how far we've come in about seven days. 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll be joined by travel guru Simon Calder after yet another technical glitch has hit British Airways and their long-suffering travellers and we'll bring you some good news too. Coldplay have vowed to stop touring until they can work out how to make it environmentally beneficial official. Yeah, okay then. 0344 499 1000. They've got a new album out, by the way. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, some of you might think I've taken leave of my senses. When we spoke to John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, just the other day here on this very radio station, I said to him, what do you think Prince Andrew should do next? And he said... I believe that he should go and talk to the US authorities and tell them what he knows, when he knew it, and whatever help he can give to them, he should offer to give them. At that point, Prince Andrew was still reeling from the after-effects of the worst interview ever given by any member of the royal family last Saturday night to Emily Maitlis. We're going to talk now to Charles Ray, a former royal editor of The Sun, a man who we've spoken to previously about the royal family on several occasions. Um, I think this is a massive crisis for them, Charles. A very good morning to you. Uh, what do you make of it all? Yes, it is a massive crisis for them. And um, uh, let's make no mistake, this was not 
something that Prince Andrew came up with himself. No. Um, that he did not he did not say, I'll, I'll sit in the background now. This is the Queen ordering him and Prince of Wales ordering him to step back because of the furore that's been caused and the constant headlines. And they need him in, on, in the background in terms of doing royal duties. But Andrew now is now going to have to face interrogation by the FBI and not only just, you know, uh, flippantly saying, oh, I was at Walking Express, uh, Pizza Express yeah. in Walking. He, he, they're going to have to ask him, you need to prove to us where you were on specific dates. And the only way they can do that is by seeing the details that are... The, 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 the details that are kept by the, the Royal Protection Squad and the emails that were sent and the documents that exist as to where he was and when he was there. And it, that may help him. Well, it may do. And it also may get him into further stuck, though, as well, because we saw a story oh. yesterday, Charles, where it was apparent that the, the timings that he gave for his visit to Epstein's place in America and on one particular day in New York... Uh, left a period of time where he could have been on his own at the same day uh, or the same time uh, as Virginia Roberts was supposedly being flown into New Jersey. Yeah, absolutely. All these sort of things. And we've got, another, we've got uh, the former Consul General, uh, the UK's uh, Consul General in New York, actually saying this morning that although Prince Andrew said uh, he was staying with him at a particular time, he can't remember that, uh, that visit. You'd have thought he would have remembered, but he can't remember. So this is why you need to have... I mean, police all over the world don't just have you sitting down and saying, you know, oh, I was at Pizza Express and walking. They will want to see the documentation that will exist as to where you were and prove where you were. Now, Andrew needs to um, come clean. And it's nice to see the, the statement that he made um, uh, in his sort of semi-retirement, if you like, that he's actually thinking of the victims and is actually moving much more forward than he was in the Emily Maitlis interview, that he will cooperate with a law enforcement agency. But again, you get the sense that he's sort of being dragged kicking and screaming through all of this and that he's finally realised that actually the world has changed while he has not changed. A lot of people still pointing the finger uh, at his lifestyle, uh, the way that, uh, you know, whether he calls it trade uh, envoy or not, he gets to travel around the world uh, in relative luxury, um, not doing an awful lot apart from just chatting to people and appearing at functions and seemingly, you know, um, I suppose um, easing the way for, for trade negotiators to talk to various different people in various different countries. But, you know, the lifestyle that he lives has already been now questioned as to how he gets all this money. You know, how does he have all this property? How does he get by? And I know to you and I it's a lot of money, and to most people, £270,000 a year. How does he have a, a £13 million house in Switzerland? Uh, well, <laughs> I have no idea how he can afford... Uh, all that sort of money. And certainly, the Duchess of York doesn't have that sort of money, as we all know. She's uh, she spends money like uh, like wildfire. Yeah. Um, yes, of course, he is going to be under a microscope. So, uh, any thoughts that this is all going to go away and something, or this draws a line under it? It doesn't draw any line under anything. The 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 headlines are going to continue. And let's not forget that the BBC Panorama program, and I think in about two weeks, mm. is doing an exclusive interview with this Virginia Roberts. I mean, that will be television gold. Yes. I mean, absolute gold as to what she says. I mean, she's already she's already made it clear that she had sex not not once, not twice, but three times with Prince Andrew. Uh, her allegation is sorry. Um, uh, so you know, 
she, she repeats all that, it's, things are just going to get much, much worse. Well, they really are. And also, his explanations of all of the things that Emily Maitlis asked him, and, and we've all said collectively that she did a great job, one, getting the interview, mm. and two, putting him on the spot in the way that she did. But she could have been a lot harder on him in terms of you know pinning him down about various things that he said. And anybody else who's going to be interviewing him from a law enforcement perspective is going to be much more forensic. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, any police officer worth his soul is going to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb, and they will not be restricted to an hour-long programme. And the other thing you've got to remember as well, they need to also get hold of Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah. Now, she is central in all this. I mean, she has been labelled Epstein's madam. Yeah. I mean, how, how much more damaging can that be for her? She needs to be sat in a room with the, with the FBI, and they need to say to her, look at this picture. You are in the background. Was this taken in your home? Was Prince Andrew there? Right. I mean, you know... He, I mean, do, does anyone even know if she's in this country, if she's in America? Who knows where she is? Well, I, I, I was watching an interview yesterday with, uh, I think, a lady called Lady uh, Victoria Harvey. Oh, who, yes. uh, who seems to think she's, she's disappeared off the face of the earth and no one will find her. Well, if anybody's going to find her, I'm sure it will be the FBI or any any police uh, organisation worth its salt will find her eventually. I'm just staggered that she's not been interviewed already. Yeah, well, exactly right. Here's the bottom line for me, though. How bad can this get for the royal family? Because just imagine the situation if, for example, there is a delegation of FBI agents who are sent to London to interview Prince Andrew. That will be a massive story in and of itself. If they then discover something which enables them to, say, you know, bring charges or offer some kind of subpoena to bring him to some kind of court case in America, I mean, this is very, very potentially damaging. It is very, very damaging, but let's not let's not run away with the idea that the monarchy is going to disappear as a result of the. There's been lots of controversies uh, over centuries involving the monarchy. You know, let's, they used to behead people at one time, and I'm sure someone's thought of that for Prince Andrew at the moment. But um, they will survive uh, the controversy over Prince Andrew, as they have survived other other controversies. The monarchy is a marvelous institution, in my opinion, and the Queen um, is you know, a paragon of virtue in, in the whole thing. Um, I, I mean, eventually Prince Charles will take over and there'll be an awful lot of controversy over, over when he becomes uh, king. But the monarchy will continue to survive. There's no question on that. Do you think so, though? Because it's obviously now yeah. that there are, well, people will be asking, what about the pocket money, this £270,000 pocket money, supposedly, that, that the Queen gives to Prince Andrew? Now, he may not get that from the civil list technically, but it's still public money as far as most people are concerned because obviously well, the Queen, the queen has, has, has her civil list payments to deal with. Well, yes, but um, let's, let's, let's nail that one down. The civil, his civil list payment, i.e. the money he would get for carrying out any royal duties, whether you think they were right or wrong, uh, is, has stopped. Absolutely. He's not getting any more money out of the, out of the sovereign grant. Um, and, but the Queen is con going to continue giving him money privately out of her private funds. So what is going to be the end result of that, though? Because we've already seen a very slimmed-down monarchy because only, really, of public pressure and because of pressure maybe from, uh, from media outlets because after a while everyone said, well, why do all these people have to receive money on the civil list? Surely Andrew, will, the next step for Andrew will be to kind of remove himself from any kind of public funding, won't it? Well, he, he, he's not going to... I mean, the, the public funding for Andrew has now stopped. 
so because he's now no longer going to carry out any royal duties. Um, and, you know, the Prince of Wales wants a slimmed-down monarchy, and he, and the Queen, with the Queen's blessing, has been trying to do that uh, over, the, over the last few years. So you've only really got the sort of uh, six or so top people, uh, senior royals, who are, uh, in effect, the key members of the royal family. Everyone else has dropped down the list. I mean, Beatrice and Eugenie, you know, whenever they do things, they don't get anything at all from the civil, uh, the, the sovereign grant at all. Um, uh, they, they do things privately. They don't represent the Queen at all. It's only, you know, the likes of um, uh, Ch- Charles, um, Camilla, William, Harry and their wives. Yes, but it's all very murky in the light of what we now know and in the light of what we get in return, as it were. I mean, some people, and I realise that this is only public opinion, but, uh, you know, the Queen must now take, take notice of it, are saying, well, what about all this money that we've given Andrew over the years? You know, has he just been having a great grand old time as the Duke of York, you know, lording it around all over the world, going to parties, even though he says he's not a party animal? Well, he won't be, he won't be lording it around much for, for, well, he for won't. much longer. Well, he won't, quite. Uh, and, and he's, 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 his mind is going to be hugely concentrated on when and if the FBI formally ask to interview him. Yeah. That is the one that we need to look forward to. Yeah. The media, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely right. The royal family, you're not. <laughs> no, quite. And what about this business as well, about the whole kind of um, a wedding scenario coming up next year? Because obviously that's supposed to be going to be quite a big public event. I don't know what the plans were put in place for it, but I presume that it's now going to be, have to be a much more low-key affair, isn't it? Well, I was thinking that exactly the, exactly the same thing myself uh, last night. As I understand it, there, there, uh, there wasn't any TV company who had yet taken up the, um, the request, if mm. you like, to film it. So, so far, no one's, no one's going to be filming it. And you're absolutely right. How on earth we can see uh, Prince Andrew in public walking his uh, eldest daughter down the aisle on television mm. uh, it, it, i don't think that's going to happen i just cannot see that one being televised and his daughters and, and, his, and his daughters must be mortified by all this as well because you know they oh, are i mean they're used to sort of being in the public eye they're used to having famous parents they're used to sort of probably a fair bit of perhaps unfair criticism that they put up with whenever they turn out at Asker or anything like that but i mean this must be awful well, yes, it is awful for the for for, for, for the girls, and let's not forget that Eugenie herself um, is a patron uh, of an anti-slavery, uh, a, a women's anti-slavery yeah. charity. So you know she must be feeling it much more than, than Beatrice. But both girls will be absolutely appalled by all this. And I'm well, I'm being told that they're standing by their father because I'm assuming he said to them, "I have not done anything wrong." Yeah. But clearly, they can read papers as well as we can, and they they can clearly see that he's been friends with a paedophile. And, I mean, it may well be that, that he hasn't done anything wrong, but it's not really about that. It's about, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting uh, the FBI to suddenly unravel a whole litany of charges against him for doing things which were illegal, but, I mean, it just doesn't look very good for him, and his reaction to all of it on Saturday night was ludicrous and ridiculous and, and made him look completely out of touch with reality, right? But what about the American media as well? Because you know as well as I do, Charles, I mean, when I was over there covering Prince Charles, you know, they'd be shouting, Chuck, Chuck, at him. You know, they didn't have any of the... The kind of you know supposed deference that British journalists have. There'll be TV companies even as we speak digging up all sorts of video evidence, all sorts of pictures. You know this is not going to stop for a long time. 
No, no, it's not. And, you know, he will be under a forensic microscope by the media, never mind the law enforcement agencies. Um, and so everything that he has done over the last few years, particularly to do with Jeffrey Epstein and any knowledge of him seeing any of these um, victims of, of Epstein's at all. That you know that everything will be dug out. And as I say, that's why I'm looking forward to the Panorama show with uh, Virginia Roberts because it'll be interesting to listen to her sat in a chair explaining why she is alleging that Prince Andrew, Andrew um, uh, had sex with her on three occasions. Now, that, uh, Andrew can say all he wants about I don't have any recollection of it, but if, if, if if he's picked up on one minor detail, you know, as you know well, as you full well know, mate, if you get cut out on the small lies, then the big, then the ones that you're trying to cover up, the big lies, will be exposed eventually. Mm, absolutely right. And already I'm looking at some stuff um, from uh, uh, from the US of A, uh, ABC News basically covering uh, the Duke of York stepping down because, of course, uh, they haven't got themselves uh, into this Epstein situation and got out of it yet because there's so many American connections to the Epstein story. And I think sure. this is now out of Prince Andrew's hands and it's now, I think, going to be driven very much from the other side of the, pl of, of the pond. Well, let's not forget, okay, it's big news for us because it's a royal prince, it's our royal prince that's involved in all this. But there's two, well, there's one current president, one former president that are linked with it yeah. as well, and a variety of other very famous people um, as well who have been linked with Epstein. Again, where does Ghislaine Maxwell get her into the FBI, get her sat down and get her to tell what she knows? because she knows an awful lot. She really does. And I guess, again, it will be down to whether or not they can force that particular issue. But she's another individual who's going to probably have to lie low for quite some considerable period of time. I mean, I was talking earlier on this week about whether Prince Andrew can ever go back to America. Um, and unless he goes there voluntarily under some kind of arrangement, he can't really go there now, which is an extraordinary situation for uh, a man who is eighth in line to the throne, the Queen's favourite son, the Queen's second son. I mean, it's incredible, really. I, I quite agree with you. I can't see how Andrew can go anywhere uh, at all on uh, American soil uh, while this is, is still under investigation. Unless, of course, he is going there uh, to uh, actually have an interview with the FBI. Or, let's not forget, the FBI could easily come here yeah. and interview him here on British soil. Well, they could. And, I mean, as I said, that would be a massive story in and of itself, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, and, well, you've worked in America, Mike, so you know what the situation is. Um, I suspect I would prefer the interview to be in America because there's likely to be more leaks of what happened. Well, right. I mean, I used to regularly ring yeah. up the FBI uh, on any given day and ask them whether they were investigating so-and-so into the in some Wall Street, you know, inside a training deal. And they'd just give you the whole thing. They'd go, oh, yeah, sure, sure hang on a second. Oh, you want pictures? They'd send you everything. You know, it was absolutely, absolutely. incredible. That's why I would prefer it to be in America, because then we'd actually find out what went on and what he was saying to them. I mean, here it would be a lot more difficult to get any details out of it. Yeah, and 11 pages again in the Daily Mail today. I always use that as my sort of Bible of, you know, how this is being looked upon by middle, middle Britain, if you like. And if they're going to keep doing 11 pages and still a week after that interview, you know you're in a bad place. Absolutely, and you, you, we, we've got the weekend. We're very close to the weekend. I mean, the Sunday papers are going to be full of uh, uh, yet again. And you can imagine there's reporters from all the papers going everywhere to find 
the, the little, the, the smallest morsel they can about anything to do with Prince Andrew. More so than just the Epstein thing, just his lifestyle, everything that he's ever done is completely under the microscope. Yeah, and, and poor old Charles and Camilla must be hopping mad because I've not seen really anything from New Zealand where they've gone for a, a week's tour uh, because nobody's interested in what they're doing while no, all this is going it, on. And also, as well, let's have, let's have some little sympathy for the Queen and uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, whose whose 72nd uh, wedding yes. anniversary yesterday was marred by by them having to sort of say to uh, Andrew, "Listen, Pally, you need to step back. Yeah, you know, you've brought an awful lot of problems on uh, on our heads. You need to step back, and you need to get this sorted. So stay in the background until you go and speak to the FBI." It's going to be a fascinating few weeks. Charles, thank you very much indeed. Charles Ray, former Royal Editor uh, of The Sun. An incredible story, this. I really don't think anybody can uh, overestimate how important this is for the future of the royal family. I'm not being overdramatic when I say that this could actually be the beginning of the end for the Queen because if the Queen leaves uh, the throne and she hands it to Charles um, in the midst of all of this going on, I don't know where it all goes, to be honest. I want to hear from you, 0344 499 1000. And certainly questions are going to be asked about Prince Andrew and how he is financed and where the money comes from and why on earth he should get it. Because quite frankly, I don't think he should get any from the Queen and certainly none from us, don't you? The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. I will try. Bad news for you. Not only do they want to fix you, Coldplay now want to fix the entire planet, okay? So now, Coldplay are not going to do any more touring until they've worked out how to make it environmentally beneficial to the world and to the globe and to the planet. Chris Martin, of course, is the guy who planted a load of trees in southern India because he wanted to offset the carbon produced by the last tour. Unfortunately for him, the trees all went on fire and uh, were destroyed because it was too hot, it was too dusty, and they couldn't actually look after them properly. So, so far, Chris Martin's ideas haven't really been particularly beneficial for the planet because they created even more carbon uh, than they had in the first place by having a world tour. You too, apparently, went on the tour on road last time uh, in 2009, required 120 trucks to shift themselves around, and according to one environmental group, they generated the equivalent carbon footprint of a return trip to Mars. Look, you might like Coldplay. You might even like you too. It's all very well if they want to save the world, but is you, anybody really believe that this is what's happening? Are you sure you're not just promoting your new album, Chris? Thanks very much indeed. We'll talk some more about that coming up at 12 o'clock because I want to hear from all of you. Uh, some of you might think it's an absolute boon uh, that you won't have to go and see Coldplay, but hey, uh, it's only my opinion. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Tom Whipple, who may or may not be a Coldplay fan, a science editor at The Times. Tom, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning. I don't know whether uh, it's good news for you or bad news that Coldplay are, are, are not going to play anymore, but uh, but you don't have to answer under 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 pain of uh, of giving away an opinion that you may not wish to share with the world. <laughs> My dirty secret is I always quite like Coldplay, but maybe I'm just a bit of a mediocrity when it comes to musical. Listen, stuff. I've got no problem with Coldplay's music. I think it's great. I think Chris Martin's just got a bit too much time on his hands, perhaps. But that's that's another story and more money than he knows what to do with. Let's talk about something really fascinating and exciting, and that is the old piece in the Times today, um, about how doctors in America have worked out a way of putting people who have been severely injured into suspended animation. I mean, it's a real sort of science fiction uh, one, this, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, they, they take out all... So the idea is you've got people coming into the emergency room and you know that given enough time you could sew them up. You know, maybe they've got really bad gunshot wounds or... Uh, or, or stab wounds, but they're going to bleed out and they've got almost no chance of survival. And the only thing you need is time. And so they're trying out this thing where they give you time. They remove, I mean, it, it's astonishing. They remove all of your blood and they replace it with a chilled saline solution, which lowers your temperature rapidly to about 10 degrees mm. and it keeps your brain alive and it keeps your cells alive whilst they have time to operate. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like the, the, the thing that happens to some people, or as far as I understand it, you may be able to correct me if I'm wrong, um, if they're in underwater for an extended period of time, your body, uh, or if they're in snow or something like that, your body can kind of chill itself down to a point where actually it's still uh, breathing and you're still alive, but, but you're not, your brain isn't being damaged because somehow uh, you've put yourself into that state yourself. Yeah, we have these anecdotal reports of this. The absolute classic one was a woman in Sweden in 1999 who she, went, she was skiing and she went headfirst into a frozen stream mm. and she was underwater for 80 minutes. And then they pulled her out and she, she got no pulse, you know, she, she, everything, there were no, she wasn't breathing, there were no life signs. They pulled her out and resuscitated her. And not only is she fine, but she now works as a radiologist in the hospital that saved her life. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, there's, there's these, I mean, there's wonderful stories. Of the, in Siberia in the 60s, there was a cardiac surgeon who operated on um, babies who used to put them in snow beforehand to sort of slow everything mm. down so that he could then perform open heart surgery. So, yeah, yeah, there's, there's anecdotal things, but this is a sort of systematic attempt to do it. It's right. very exciting. And interestingly, for, for, for this particular procedure, there's not a lot of, um, um, of worries about the ethics of it, apparently, because an awful lot of the people who will benefit from this and who would, uh, would have benefited from it uh, would be people who would have otherwise died. Yeah, so the guy, the guy who's doing this, and he says he's done this in one patient, um, he hasn't released the results of what happened, or uh, in at least one patient. He's been sort of hanging around emergency rooms for a while, waiting for candidates to come in. Right. And it's essentially, yeah, obviously they, they can't give consent because they're, they're, most of them are critically ill and about to die. Um, and, yeah, the ethics are very easy to weigh through because despite the fact this is clearly an extremely experimental thing to do, these people are just going to die. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's been easy to get them through because, you know, the choice is this or nothing. Absolutely right. And so, I mean, obviously it's a very long way away from being anything other than experimental at the moment, but how does this work in the US? Because presumably, um, does the hospital have to give permission for, the, for them to do any of this stuff? Yeah, they've, um, they're, they're, they're quite an odd approval thing in that they have advertised in the area that they're doing this and sort of made people aware, if you're shot and you're about to die, 
then this might happen to you. And you can opt out. Um, I mean, I doubt there's anyone who's sort of wandering around in, um, in Maryland who's thinking, well, on the off chance I get shot, I must opt out of this experimental procedure that might save my life. But yeah, that, that's how they've done it there. But, you know, if this works, there's no particular reason why it couldn't be rolled out fairly rapidly mm. in, in other circumstances and in other countries. I mean, are we in this country able to replicate it, do you think? I mean, is it, is, I mean, it seems, I mean, to, to the untutored eye that I have on these matters, it seems relatively straightforward. It's not particularly complex, is it? Um, I mean, the, the key is to do it, do it right, to cool people down at the right pace and to revise them at the right pace so that you don't get cellular damage. Um, but, you know, at the, mo at the moment, if you want to maintain blood pressure, you will sometimes have a saline drip. Um, this is just putting saline fluid into your veins in, in a very similar way. Um, I would imagine if it works, then it's something that we'd look at doing quite, quite rapidly. Here. Mm. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Tom, thank you very much indeed. Tom Whipple, uh, science editor at The Times, there talking about this remarkable uh, situation over in Johns Hopkins uh, University, I think it's University of Maryland, and the New York Academy of Sciences. In order to be eligible for it, patients have to be brought in after their heart has stopped, or with gunshot or stab wounds so bad that they might be expected to actually bleed to death which is, of course, uh, something, as uh, Tom says, you will only find really people in that kind of state inside of an emergency room at any one given time. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about a great many things. We'll take uh, some more of your calls on the Labour manifesto. We'll talk to a member of Labour's shadow cabinet as well. And also, uh, we will um, be talking to uh, someone about Coldplay and why Coldplay have decided, in their wisdom, to stop touring on the grounds that they can't figure out how to do it without damaging the environment. Let's talk to John, uh, who is in Dorset, wants to talk about Jeremy Corbyn. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. What can you say? Well, I mean, it's just the politics of vicious class hatred. I was born in 1944. Okay. And my father was hardcore left, and I was brought up with a co-op Labour fate. Dinglefoot was our MP, and... I was fortunate enough to go to grammar school where we not only had a library but a librarian and I learned the other side of Labour and I became a Conservative at 18. OK. And my father called me a class traitor in Did our he? local pub. Blimey. Yeah. Did you fall out with him, like, over it completely? Oh, we didn't speak for many years. Wow. I joined a parachute regiment and he said they were all murdering scum, which, you know... Maybe he has a point. I don't know. But it was it was it divided the family. I just didn't go home yeah. after I joined the army. I didn't go home for about another ten years. Well, I mean, this is the thing about the far the far left, John, isn't it? The far left is very anti the military, basically. And so, if oh, you were yeah. ever to get a far left government, and I'm not suggesting that Jeremy Corbyn would make a far left government, but if there was to be a far left government, it would be hard to imagine them being in charge of the armed forces. Well, my question is this. Uh, social media is awash where all these MPs say things and then deny it mm. until confronted by yourself and others. And Jeremy Corbyn said of all the cuts they should make, they should cut the troops. OK, I accept his point. I accept he doesn't like the SAS and he'd rather celebrate the people who went out to blow up a police station. But my question is this. If Jeremy Corbyn and his mates get rid of the troops, mm. and if a load of old farts like me who've had military service decide enough is enough, look at Chile with Allende, left-wing government, look at Venezuela. They, they don't last forever. What will happen if we take to the streets and use the skills we've acquired over the years, including our younger brethren who mm. are no longer soldiers, 
what will he do? Who will he call in to support him? Will he have to go to Putin or someone else? If there's an insurrection in this country and he's done away with the army, what does he do? Yes, it's a very it's a very good question, John. I don't know the answer to that. Um, and let's hope we never have to know that we need an answer to that question. But certainly um, there are lots of those types of questions being asked about Jeremy Corbyn and about the Labour manifesto. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, Coldplay, let's get started with Coldplay. Chris Martin, one of the richest men in the history of rock and roll, right? He launched an album on the unsuspecting public around about the, re- the turn of this century, and it was called Parachutes, and it was thought to be one of the most amazing albums of all time. It was thought to be a breakthrough album. It was one of those albums that everybody talked about. It was one of those albums that everybody bought. Coldplay then went from strength to strength. They played Glastonbury. Uh, they went all over the world. They played all over the world. Chris Martin became such an amazing figure for lots of woke types that he ended up marrying Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow, though, even got fed up with Chris Martin and his environmental concerns and decided to dump him and move back to America. Chris Martin's latest wheeze, right, is that he wants to stop touring. Now... Call me cynical, but one of the reasons Coldplay are in the news today is not because they're going to stop touring, but because they've got a new album out. And guess when the new album's out? It's out tomorrow. And guess what they're going to be doing tomorrow? They're going to go to Jordan, where they're going to play a concert at sunrise and a concert at sunset. Apparently that's got something to do with the two sides of the album, which I presume they will be selling in record shops around the world. Made of plastic, of course. Chris Martin's worked out, actually it's a bad idea to tour if you're a rock band because there's so much single-use plastic, there's lots of flying to be done, there's lots of trucking to be done, and they want to reduce their carbon footprint. But better than that, they don't just want to reduce their carbon footprint. What they actually want to do uh, is to make sure that the concert becomes environmentally beneficial. I don't even know what that means. But Chris Martin's rich enough that he says he's going to take a couple of years off to try and work it out. Well, I hope it works out better than his last idea, because the last time he tried to be environmentally beneficial, he planted something like 40,000 trees right in the middle uh, of a very arid part of South India. He thought that would offset the carbon he was spending travelling around the world in limos and private jets and doing concerts with massive amounts of lights and wattage and electricity and all the rest of it, right? Unfortunately for him, 20,000 of the trees burnt to the ground because it was too hot, it was too dry and nobody knew what else to do. So that caused a massive carbon footprint again. The other 20,000 simply just died because there weren't enough people to look after them. And even Chris Martin can't pay enough people to look after 20,000 trees. So my message to you, Mr Chris Martin, is stick to playing your music. Write some nice songs. It's all very good. It's all very nice. Turn up at Glastonbury if you want. He's also doing a show in London. He's doing it all on YouTube. Chris, get a life, mate. Don't worry about saving the planet. Nothing's going to happen to it. You are not going to save the planet by not touring. What you might do is save an awful lot of people all the trouble 
of actually having to listen to this kind of nonsense. All of us in every industry have to just work out what the best way of doing our job is. The hardest thing is uh, the flying side of things. We're taking time over the next year or two to work out how can not only our tour be sustainable, but how can it be actively beneficial? How can we harness the resources that our tour creates and make it have a positive impact? Our dream is to have a show with no single-use plastic, to have it be largely solar-powered. Largely solar-powered? Does that mean, what, 90% solar-powered? 80% solar-powered? I also have a dream, OK? Um, and it is that I don't wish to see Chris Martin and Coldplay live because, of course, I care an awful lot about the environment and I don't want them ruining it. Let's talk to Donald Cameron McLeod of the Clan McLeod, a man who knows a bit about carbon footprints. Donald, a very good <laughs> afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, mate. Now, listen, the rock and roll business is a massive business. I've just seen a story uh, on your Facebook page about 400 million quid being generated by the music industry in uh, yep. Scotland alone. Now, it, it's all very well for millionaire rock stars to go, do you know what? I don't think I'll bother. Well, you know, his last tour was titled A Head Full of Dreams. I think if it was the tour, it would be A Head Full of Mints. This time, <laughs> honestly, he's consciously uncoupling from live music. Come on, give yeah. me a break. Oh, man. I know. Honestly, pass the sick bucket. Coldplay, won't play. I think a lot of people might think that's a great idea. Me, me being one, but you don't have to be a scientist to quote one of their songs. To work out that the I can you know, see what you're doing here. It's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's very clever it's very stuff. Good. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't panic. That's another song. <laughs> <laughs> Parachute. <laughs> That's a laugh. Honestly, the last time they toured, they grossed five hundred million dollars, one hundred and twenty-two gigs across four continents. Right. But their carbon footprint alone flying back home after every show could have wiped out the dinosaurs. The, this band are just living on a different planet from everybody else. But what's annoying me here is, but, is that a band, a Coldplay, who many people like, I'm not particularly one of them, um, you know, they inspire lots of young acts. So what, what are these young bands, touring bands, meant to think when some one of the peers, you know, the successful peers, decide, oh, we're not touring. Oh, well, we better not either. That's, you know, suddenly you've got bands not, not gigging. Right. And I know they're probably too big for this, but there was a time as well when I used to go and see bands when I was young and you would get some great bands on the undercard who would be kind of encouraged to come yes. through. I mean, I yeah. saw Thin Lizzy, right, supporting Backman Turner Overdrive, who oh. were much worse than <laughs> Thin Lizzy. But Thin Lizzy were on the cusp, and as, and as that tour progressed, they, they, their whiskey in a jar was getting up into the top ten. And that's yeah. kind of what you want to see. If, you, if, you, if the bigger bands are not touring anymore, who's going to be able to go with them? Well, that, you know, you, 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 you're hitting the nail on the head there, but you, you mentioned earlier about the... Um, Scotland's music industry, you know, generating 431 million. You know, it's that music tourism alone up here is like up 38 percent. So we maybe don't need to worry too much about Coldplay, but it says others follow the actual industry. You know, and the, the full report is the music economy in the whole UK is worth 5.2 billion pounds. Mm. You know, responsible for 190 thousand plus jobs. You know, directly. So. It is a huge generator of income and a, a, a massive employer. And, uh, 
which is great. Well, Fantastic. I mean, if you look at just, just look at uh, some of the big venues in this country, you know, you've got the SECC in, in Glasgow, you know, you've got well, the, the, o, the, the, the O2 in London, you know, you've got all the, uh, the, the big places in Manchester, the arena there, the Liverpool arena. You know, if suddenly all of these places cease to be hired by supergroups and big bands, they'll all go out of business, won't they? Yeah, well, of course, yes, but I think it's more important than the, the bottom end, you know, where you've got the smaller smaller places like the Cat House, like the Garage, with, you know, up here with, you know, the welcome smaller touring bands, and, you know, hopefully that's a platform for them being successful uh, and going on to world domination like Coldplay have. But, you know, that people are interested, love going to shows still, uh, despite all the things that are put against them, you know, it, it, People still go out. That actually, what they're saying there, and I think it's just purely because they can't be bothered. They've, they've made enough money. Uh, it, it sends out their own signal, definitely. It's, well, you know, this is it, isn't what, it? I mean, when, what, you, when you, you were want rich. To buy a new musician yeah. to tour, not just to sit and watch a Spotify ratings go up. You know? Also, I mean, they're yeah. actually touring anyway. They're doing two shows tomorrow in Jordan, right? I know, that's which are, I so, I mean, how they get. I don't know if they, they're going to borrow <laughs> Greta Thunderbird's boat to get to Jordan or what, you know, but they're basically doing two shows in Jordan, which are going out on YouTube. I can't imagine. Imagine um, what the carbon footprint will be of that. And then they're doing a show in London. Well, exactly. I mean, it's carefully, uh, it's carefully choreographed and planned out, you know, the on sale. So put out a statement. You know, for the Coldplay fans out there, you know, that it must be, you know, terrible news for them. They must be, oh, no. But a lot of it else <laughs> out there, it's fantastic. You know, great. Oh, my. You know, no more Coldplay. The best thing about being in Coldplay, though, as well, if you're not Chris Martin, is nobody knows who you are. Now, I wouldn't exactly. be able to recognise any of those Radiohead, guys. Radiohead, isn't it? I mean, Radiohead are similar. You know, who are Radiohead? I mean, you know, them, you know they're some trusty lot, you know, that make millions. Well, apparently they've... Idea, you know what they've done? Apparently they've swapped all their spotlights in their light show for LEDs. I mean, oh, why would you bother? Well, <laughs> you know? well, you do bother because... Uh, a lot, it saves a lot of lot in the electricity bill, by the way. You know, all my lights and my venues are now all LEDs, and now, by the way, the prices come right down. Has it? I'm paying for well, that's why they've done it then. They've also got yeah. a song called Fake Plastic Trees. <laughs> but they've not got a fake, fake plastic record or vinyl <laughs> when you put it out, have they? Well, that's but, it. Honest, it's, I wish they would stop. I really, this bitch of signalling from them all, like your Emma Thompsons and your Prince Harry's, really have to stop. I'm wondering who advised them here, if it was the people advised Prince Andrew, you know, because it's, it's just a, one of the worst statements out. I mean, it does not do anything helpful at all for the music industry. But it really Regardless doesn't. Of what you think, you know, it does, you know, we have a great, fantastic music economy in the UK. We have thousands of kids want to join bands, be in bands, play. We have, but on the other side, we're seeing an awful lot of venues getting closed down because of city planning regulations, etc., etc. Mm. And now this, you know, like, oh, don't play because you... We, we, you know, you're going to save the environment. It's a ridiculous... And one of the reasons, thing. right, one of the reasons they also say they don't want to play live is because it's not just their carbon footprint, but all the people who travel to see them. And surely one of the great <laughs> yeah, experiences... Okay, let's all stay in the house. Yeah. Let's just all stay Well, exactly. Here. One of the great experiences of life is going to music festivals, you know, taking yeah. off a weekend, flying to Berlin or somewhere to go yeah, and watch a bus. band, you know, getting absolutely <laughs> bust, as you would yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, but it's all part of your life experience. I mean, I don't want to be told by these people, oh, no, you can't travel anywhere. 
Oh, it's pathetic. It really is. You know, as you mentioned earlier, we, we had uh, Liam Gallagher on last week. What yeah. a show. Brilliant. I bet you know, his carbon footprint's quite high. Yeah. Well, no, I think the crowd's carbon footprint was, uh, <laughs> was a lot bigger when they started throwing flares. That was something else. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, we need to get that stamped out, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know... Up and coming bands like Barnes Courtney, Yonica, even the one I look after, Stephanie Cheap, you know, they need the gigs. You yeah. need to be playing. You can, oh, this just staying in the studio, oh, it, it, it does, as I say, give me the vomit. And, and, and you, everybody's staying in. You know, I, I can't imagine the, the damage you would do. Imagine there was no bands touring. How many venues would close down? Now that's taking it to extremes. But hey, Coldplay are taking it to the extremes with that statement. And also, you know, you want to see bands live. You know, I don't want to just watch Coldplay doing a show in Jordan no, on, on YouTube. <laughs> well, no, but I don't want to watch it on YouTube. You know, there's lots of good stuff on YouTube. Why would I want to watch a live stream? I mean, you can watch me tonight, right, live streamed on Facebook and Twitter uh, oh, on, a, right. on a panel. But, you know, I'm, bring, I'm bringing, you know, bringing myself into your home, Donald, without actually oh, having no. a carbon footprint. You know, you can just watch me. Well, surely the generation of that signal alone is creating a massive carbon footprint. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly I right. Carbon footprint is anyway. I don't know what's going to be in the green room beforehand, but we shall see. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's just it's pretentious to me. It's it's because yeah. Chris Martin is a multimillionaire; he can afford to, to basically say, "I'm just not going to do that." They don't need to tour anymore. They, they they don't, you know. And a lot of bands decided to do that. I've done that over the years, you know. I, I, but. I mean, Pink Floyd, or they wouldn't tour, and then, of course, you made the, the, the Beatles away way back. They stopped, yeah. you know. But they, they don't need to tour, but others still do, thankfully, you know. Of the old, certainly of the older bands, you still with the Rolling Stones, they'll pop up every year. I don't think they care too much about what they can do. Didn't you see Adam Ant the other day? Yeah, he was brilliant. Was Fantastic. he? Fantastic. Oh, the Still the king of the world. Did he still have the, the, the? Did he still have all the gear on and, and the, well, the face look, paint? You, you know, you have well seen where Johnny Depp ripped his, you know, got his image from. He's completely ripped off uh, Adamant. But yeah. you know, full respect to Adamant because uh, he's a troubled man over the over the decades. You know, with his mental illness and fighting depression, and it was just fantastic to see him on stage. Hit after hit, you know, Apollo 9 and music, car trouble. It, well, it was great. And what a show he still delivers. He's still the king of the wild frontier, as I say, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's live music. Live music fantastic. And uh, anybody, most people go to gigs at one point in their life, and, you know, and almost all of them enjoy it. And, uh, you know, Coldplay, as we go back to them, I just think making such a statement, like that, it's, it's just, oh, come on. I know, Personal I know, just get over yourself. Very, and let's, very, let's, let's hope that if he, does, if he does plant any trees after the show in Jordan, that he doesn't put them where he put the last lot. <laughs> maybe you should burst, water them. They burst into flames. <laughs> maybe you should water them. Maybe you, you know, speak to the guy that owns, uh, you know, Microsoft and Bill Gates, you know, he's, he's pretty good at putting in... Um, various sort of uh, wells and stuff like that around Africa. Maybe they should have joined up together. And, uh, yeah, you know, well, I mean, you never know. If you don't want to water a tree, it's going to die. You no, know. Exactly right. Donald, thank you very much indeed. Donald McLeod, columnist and owner of the garage in Glasgow, a great supporter of live music. Live music is the whole point of music, isn't it? Coldplay, of course, don't want to do any more live music, so they don't have to. $500 million they made from their last tour. That tells you why they can't be bothered doing another one. They don't need any more money.
It's ridiculous, isn't it? Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. How about this from Della? She says, Mike, your concern for the environment didn't seem to stop Chris Martin handing out thousands upon thousands of plastic electronic flashing bracelets for their Wembley concert a few years back uh, and would assume every other night on their tour. Well, indeed. I'm pretty sure they did that at Glastonbury as well where they handed out all these things to people to wave around, uh, which were, you'd have to say, I'm afraid, Chris, single-use plastic. Maybe we could have single-use rock star, you know, just use him once and throw him away. What do you reckon? 0344-499-1000 is the number. Let's talk to Mark Dolan, though, because a large and increasing number of people uh, are throwing uh, a sickie, let's put it that way, um, and uh, pretending to be sick when they're actually not, which is a really, really big problem for all companies in all businesses. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Uh, Michael, good afternoon. You know, amid all this doom and gloom, um, Coldplay not touring, that's at least a good news story for your audience. Well, I think a lot of people have kind of resonated with that one and found that, in fact, um, if you're promising us something that we didn't want, then you're not going to do it, then clearly people are going to be happy about it. Well, exactly. This guy is voting with his feet. Funny enough, um, I actually don't think touring... Um, of bands is necessarily environmentally unfriendly because we do need entertainment. And I think it's just weird things like the fact that we import apples to the UK from Fiji. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but we more or less invented most variety of apples, mostly from the Garden of England, Kent. So yes. I think in some ways I'm a bit eco, but not when it comes to entertainment. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't hear, I don't see you sort of threatening to, to shut down your global carbon footprint by cancelling any of the touring that you do. Exactly right. And as you know, I'm my audience, you know, they, they, they rely on my wit and wisdom, Michael, just like your good self. Yes. Um, for, for, for daily survival. And um, yeah, so look, entertainment is important. And I tell you something, the reason why people are calling so many sickies at work is because they think that work is supposed to be fun. Last time I checked, it's about paying the bills primarily. Well, exactly right. I mean, you and I are both probably in the same situation. If you don't turn up for work, you don't get any money. So therefore, you know, regardless of whatever, um, you know, the Labour Party says or the union movement says, you know, um, that kind of situation which shouldn't happen to people does happen to a lot of people who don't have proper jobs. Well, I agree. And we've heard this expression, Mike, big economy a lot. And it's been described uh, really in very negative sort of terms Mm. because of the lack of security. But I think the bottom line is the gig economy is probably the future for our economy, which is for people to be self-employed and actually have control of their schedule, maybe work for multiple employers and deciding their hours. And you will find, Michael, that anybody that's self-employed does not pull a sickie, as you said. And if we were to go through the fine detail of these statistics, it's probably people who work in the public sector who more or less have a job for life, who aren't afraid of pulling a sickie because they know they can't be fired. Right. And this study that's come out today says that two in five adults would fake a sickie if they needed a day off, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, and the funny thing is that um, I I find it especially extraordinary, and I've seen it in my son's um, school where he gets a fantastic education. It's a brilliant local primary school, couldn't be happier. But um, there are a couple of members of staff who are off sort of long-term sick leaves 
based upon stress. Yes. Now, I mean, what, uh, I would actually say that if you had no stress, there's something wrong with your life. I mean, stress is part of the human condition, Michael. It's probably the thing that actually gives us our edge in the workplace, a little bit of pressure. I mean, it's true to say that, some know. people handle that better than others, though, isn't it? Well, they do indeed. And, of course, I'm all for, uh, you know, mental health. And if someone is genuinely uh, poorly, then, then they should get the, the medical treatment. But you will just find um, that expectations have changed. And I think it's happened uh, in the younger generation, whereby somehow being happy is a human right. And that spills into the workplace where just because I don't like the boss, that's a good enough reason to fake illness. Um, the bottom line is, it is your job. And if you're serious about keeping your job, then you drag yourself into work. And you and I have both done that in the past. Obviously, talk radio couldn't be a better workplace, but there must have been environments, especially <laughs> in the, 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 the mean streets of Fleet Street, Mike, where you probably didn't feel like going in and getting well, no, I always felt Well, no, no, I always felt like going in because it was like a daily battle. You know, you went in, you knew yeah. there were people trying to kill you, and if you weren't there, they were more likely to succeed. So you wanted to make sure you were there to stop them from killing you. Well, it's really interesting. You're absolutely right. Um, I think part of this is cultural, you know, and uh, there's been a big uh, debate, uh, obviously, around Brexit in terms of immigration. It's an election issue as well. Um, I've certainly observed that, you know, people that I've worked with uh, from other parts of Europe, such as Eastern Europe, Poland, Lithuania, the work ethic is very strong, you know. And obviously, I cannot speak uh, universally, but my, you know, when, whether it's been plumbers or mm. other colleagues, in that industry, um, second to none. And the, the philosophy is you work for the sake of it. It's not that your employers have to make you feel good, that it's got to be fulfilling. It's like, I need the money, I work, end of. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, some people, right, have got such a cushy number that not only do they fake a sickie to avoid coming to work, some even make up stories about stuff that they've got stuck in. You know, like, well, I've had a story yeah. recently of somebody who pretended they missed a plane right, uh, and couldn't wow. get back to the office in time to work, right? I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, no way of proving that they're lying, of course, but, you know, my suspicions are there. Well, that's exactly right. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, when I'm not able to do um, a job that I've been booked for, I, I always give full disclosure and say um, it's a double booking or the schedule doesn't work. Um, I've decided just to be always super honest with people because um, I've got this test, I call it the £1,000 test, mm. Mike, um, which is anybody that's considering pulling a sickie, ask yourself this question. If you were to be presented with an envelope packed with £1,000 on arrival at your workplace, yes. would you drag yourself in, yes or no? And if the answer is, I'm so ill that I couldn't even collect £1,000, then you have my full sympathy, and I would say, come back when you're ready. And I'll be honest with you, there's only one illness that I've ever had that precluded me from working, and it was it was a stomach bug. It yeah. was, I'll spare the gory details. Yeah, please do. Gastroenteritis. Yeah. And I, I was so <laughs> wretchedly incapacitated yes. that I crawled to the phone. This is back in the days of, of landline. Right. And I remember crawling to the phone and literally lying down, just like getting the words out to the boss yeah. saying, I am on the floor at the moment. I can't even lift, lift my head off the ground. Um, and I think, I don't know if you've ever had a stomach bug like that, but that, that's pretty much you can't go I've, in. I've not really, but I'll tell you, I had a similar illness one time when I was working in, in Fleet Street, and it, it was a proper, you know when people say, oh, I've got flu. And you go, no, you haven't. You have not got flu. Because if you had oh, flu, yeah. you would be lying in bed incapable. And I could, literally couldn't get out of bed. I was there for about four days. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't even answer, answer the phone. I couldn't lift the phone. I didn't have the strength. And it was really awful and horrible. And it's honestly, I think, the only time that I've, I've sort of taken time off genuinely because I was ill. 
I know. And, you know, I think maybe the future, as we're all grown ups, Mike, um, is to stop these uh, silly white lies, which are certainly bad for the economy, bad for the business that you claim to be an integral part yes. of, whatever your role is, um, is actually perhaps, if you want, um, you negotiate with your boss and you go, do you know something, boss? I've, I've been working my absolute socks off. I, I think you'll agree. You're, you're happy with my performance. Um, I am just really run down. Yeah. Do you mind if I don't come in on Friday? And I think that might be the grown-up way to do it. And you get the boss's discretion. The boss goes, do you know what? Absolutely. Keep an eye on the emails, but otherwise come back Monday. Yeah. And I, I mean, think I that might to, be the future. I used to work for a company where you could get so many duvet days every single year, and I would have like yeah. four duvet days. And I never, for the life of me, really understood what that meant. But apparently it meant that if you basically woke up and you didn't fancy it, you could just go back under the duvet and call in and say, look, I'm really sorry, I'm taking one of my duvet days. But, you know, it seems to me to be a ridiculous way to run a business, that, doesn't it? Um, well, it, it depends, really. I mean, I think uh, there's an old saying that you go a long way to making someone trustworthy by actually trusting them, you know. And I think maybe we do, you know, the workplace has changed. It is not quite that kind of worker-employee dynamic and um, that we are all, in a way, we're all sort of pretend self-employed types, even if you are, you've got a contract with your, with your business and, you know, you've got flexi time, you've got people that work from home on email. I know that's kind of like rubbish as uh, it's basically after 10 minutes, you're down the weather spoons, but actually the boss will find out pretty quickly whether or not you are wasting that, you know, the working from home time. So no, I, I don't mind a bit of a modern dynamic economy, Michael. Um, there is another thing, by the way, that we've taken massively for granted. It's a word you don't hear very much these days, unemployment. Yes. Now, you and I both witnessed through the 80s the spectre, the, the cancer, if not too strong a word for it, of unemployment. I think the numbers were something in excess of 3 million at one point. Yes. And I think that we've had such high employment figures for so long now that people have actually forgotten the value of, of having a job and how, how precious that is. And I think that, and hopefully we never return to, to you know, having high unemployment, that you would find that in, a, in an environment of high unemployment, the sicky rate would drop like a stone and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You're absolutely right. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.